All right. That's good. Wonderful. Okay, my sarcastic nature says there's way too much love in the house. Way too much love in this place. So, okay, that's, that's enough. That's enough loving back there, Jeremy. Okay, thanks. <laughs> We're going to turn this over to Graham now. Uh, before you are a bunch of our senior youth and leaders who are going to be taking uh, their March break this year. We're going to be heading to um, Thunder Bay and uh, the Grassy Narrows Reservation in northern Ontario uh, just to start to learn and listen more um, to uh, Indigenous voices and uh, stories that are different than our own. Uh, usually on a, a March break trip, uh, you go somewhere warm with shorts. So you can kind of doubt people's motives, right? Because it's it's March, and like, who doesn't want to get a vacation? But uh, we're actually going uh, north to where it's colder. So we're packing snow pants, and it's going to be uh, about 10 degrees, at least colder than it is here. So I know their motives are pure. This isn't a, there's no hidden agenda. So uh, we've been preparing a lot, and they're getting really excited and uh, nervous and excited. And uh, yeah, we're just going to, you're going to pray for us. And Paul is going to do that. I'm a member of our mission team and a, a dad on the trip as well, and a friend. <laughs> Actually, if anyone wants to join up here, any other members of parents or any other members of the mission team? Father, we thank you for this adventure that these kids and leaders get to go on, Lord. We thank you that they get to join in with what you are doing, Lord. They're not bringing you there. You're already there, and they get to join you. We pray that you would lead them and guide them and protect them, Lord. We pray for safety for these kids and leaders. We pray that you would uh, help them as they travel, keep them physically and spiritually and emotionally safe, even in the midst of sometimes on discomfort. Um, and Lord, we pray most of all that you would change their hearts, Lord. We thank you that you love everyone so much more than we can imagine. And I pray that you would reveal that, that your love for the indigenous people, the people that they will interact with during this whole trip, reveal your love for them to our youth, Lord, and teach them and grow them and let their hearts flourish, Lord, so that they can come back and teach us. Bless them as they go, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these, uh, this team of young people fly out on Friday morning. They're going to fly to Thunder Bay, and then they're actually going to be doing some driving up north of that uh, to Grassy Narrows. And I'd love for us as a congregation to commit to continue to pray for them, not only for uh, all that we've already expressed today, but for their safety as well as they, as they travel, as they're on the ground there as well. And I know that uh, God's going to do great things for them. Just a reminder that today, immediately after the service at 10.30 in the gym, is our annual business meeting, and uh, we'd love to have everybody come to that. Uh, and to participate in that. And if you're uh, involved with Kids Quest, worship ministry, if you have anything to do with Planning Center, immediately after the 
the, uh, pardon me, the annual meeting in the gym, we're going to do a quick 30-minute uh, training on how to access and use Planning Center effectively so that your life is scheduled, your ministry is scheduled here at the church. That's, uh, and so your kids are going to be cared for. Uh, if you have, a, if you have a, um, a spouse or a partner who can, can retrieve those kids, we're just going to take those 30 minutes immediately after in the gym. You don't have to move, and we'll give you that quick training center, okay? And Mel, are you going to pray? Thank you. You're going to read the scriptures. Our reading this morning is from the book of John. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Last week, I began with a bit of a story about how our family went on an extended family day weekend trip to Montreal. And I talked about a couple of the roadblocks that we faced, namely a couple of highways that were closed and almost didn't uh, get us there. But we did make it. And it was, in a sense, like Graham was saying about the youth trip, it it was a bit of a different trip that our family would usually take in the winter. Normally, we try to go south and get somewhere warmer, but we actually went somewhere a little colder. Montreal was actually colder than it was here. So we had to do some, find some things to do. And so we did. We found lots of great places. We uh, walked around the beautiful Montreal Park. It was just gorgeous. We actually did some cross-country skiing, which was very exciting. But the real exciting outdoor thing we did uh, is courtesy of my wife, who found this an, a great opportunity. Now, behind Jude and Sophia in this picture here is a frozen lake. And if you look really closely kind of in between them, you'll see uh, dog sled teams. That's right. Melissa said, we are going to go dog sledding. This is what we're going to do as a family. So here we go. We show up, and uh, we were running a little late, had a hard time getting here. Now, those of you who know me, you know I'm not a real dog person, but these are, like, really beautiful creatures. So, so we're, we're there, and they start, uh, the person's like, oh, you're the group of five, great. And so we come up, and, and they're like, okay, join the group here. We're going to give the instructions. And so they start giving the tutorial about how this works, and they're like, it's like a little two-person sled, and the next slide shows it there. And so you're going to stand on this thing, and then one person sits down, and you're going to you know, start pushing with your foot, and you're going to get these things. And then you, these dogs, like, run, and you do this giant loop all around this frozen lake. It was, like, so exciting, you know, a little nervous, like, what happens if the dogs just run wild and and we're never seen again, you know? Um, Anyways, but it was exciting. Um, And then one of the other employees came up to the one who was doing the instruction, and they started speaking to each other in French, which is never a good sign. It's never a good sign. And, uh, and then she came up to us, this, this new person, and said, you know, I'm sorry, there was a, there was a misunderstanding. Um, you know, after your booking, this, this other group of 29 European tourists, they booked, and, and we had to, to bump your family, so actually, you can't go until later. And we're like, oh, that's too bad. Um, so we waited around and, and for quite a while. But after like an hour and a half of waiting, the other group, they, they weren't even halfway through their group. And we had heard the people say earlier that, you know, you're lucky you showed up now because the groups who show up later, the dogs are really tired. And, you know, it's not as much fun. And, and all of a sudden we're like, wait a second. And then they said, well, it's going to be like another hour. So the, the short of the story is we never went dog sledding that day. Uh, so I share these pictures with you, but that's not any of our family on that dog sled. That's, I don't even know who it is, someone from Europe. That's, that's all I know. All right, so this morning's story is about a bunch of people who were all bundled up, ready to follow Jesus out across the frozen lake, only to find themselves sorely disappointed. Our, our day up in the Laurentians ended with us getting our money back and trying to find something else to do with our time. So what do we do when we discover that the good news isn't what we thought it would be? Do we ask for our money back? Do we find something else to do instead of following Jesus? How do we keep moving forward when we're offended by what Jesus has to say and what he calls us to? So John chapter 6, we kind of join it halfway through. But the day started off with a crowd of confused Galileans. 
A quick summary of what happened in chapter 6. It is jam-packed with activity. The first thing that happens is that Jesus and his followers find that there is an incredibly large crowd that is gathered to hear him teach. Upwards of 5,000 or more people. And they have this problem. What are we going to do? We don't have any food to feed these people. And culturally, they had this expectation that they'd be fed for following this rabbi around. And so uh, they're like, what are we going to do? Well, this boy comes up. He's got five small barley loaves, two small fish. And Jesus says, that's good enough. Just start passing it around. And somehow, miraculously, this food multiplies. And this giant crowd of people are fed with this small lunch. Later on, the story goes that Jesus wanted to spend some time alone. And we read this passage just a few weeks ago. And you remember that the disciples got into the boat and they headed to the other side of the lake. And then Jesus, you know, kind of decided to join up with them, realized they'd left. And so in the midst of this, this dark, stormy night out on the lake, Jesus walks up to the boat across the water. So this chapter is just filled with the miraculous that's going on here. So the next morning, the crowd figures out that, okay, wait a second. Like, we saw the disciples leave, and Jesus wasn't with them, but now he's nowhere to be found. He must somehow have, have maybe walked through the night to the other side of the lake or, or hitched a ride with someone else. We don't know, but we got to go find this guy. So they all got in their boats, and they took off looking for him. we got to find this guy. And when he gets there, they're, they're like, hey, it's us. We're here. And, and he has this little bit of a conversation with them. And he says, basically, you're following me because I took care of your physical needs. You like the fish and bread lunch I gave you yesterday. But I want to tell you that there's so much more to following me than that. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Now, if you've heard the first two sermons in this series, this will be a familiar word to you. Belief. This trust in Jesus is the core theme of these stories. Time and time again, Jesus invited people to believe in him, to trust that he was who he said he was, the Son of God, sent from the Father with an invitation to eternal life. And so he has this conversation, and they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Seriously, that's the question they ask. After he fed 5,000 people with five pieces of bread and two fish, what sign will you give us? After he walks across a lake in the middle of the night to a boat, what sign will you give us? Now, it appears the crowd wasn't aware of the miraculous origin of their dinner. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, that's fair enough. I mean, if you're in a crowd of 5,000 people and someone walks up and gives you a pretzel or something, you're like, oh, that's awesome. You have no idea that there, there was only one pretzel, and they've used, you know, this pretzel has somehow multiplied to feed the whole crowd. You don't know that. So this crowd doesn't know it was a miracle. They're just like, hey, this guy's giving us food. We like him. Let's follow him. And I was wondering, just as a bit of a sidebar, you know, how often this happens in our lives? How many times are we the recipients of the miraculous, and we don't even notice? We're just like, oh, good, thanks for that. Or we don't even thank anyone for it. We're just, we just take it, and we just assume that this, whatever it is that happens in our life is just the way life is. We don't understand the miraculous origins behind so much of life. Jesus said to them, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Well, the crowd pressed him. From now on, he said, the crowd pressed him and they said, sir, from now on, give us this bread. And if this sounds familiar, it's because almost the same question or the same request was made last week in the story of Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman, right? Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. Give me water. Give me bread. Produce something for me so that I can go on my way. Just give me something to satisfy my needs in this moment and then I can go on my way. If I can get this eternal life you're talking about without actually following you around, that would be even better. Well, what is it that we're hoping Jesus will give us? 
What do we want from following him? The old commentator Matthew Henry says, many follow Christ for loaves and not for love. We'll come back to this a bit later, but for now let's just acknowledge our own desire to be the ones who are in control of things, rather than trusting Jesus along the journey. We would like him just to give us some kind of certainty, some kind of answer, some kind of provision, and then we'll just go about our lives without really having to interact with him along the way. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, Jesus had the crowds eating out of his hands, literally. So what would he do next? For I have come down from heaven, he said, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is where the crowds began to grumble. How could this son of a carpenter come down from heaven? We know this guy. We know his family. He didn't come down from heaven. We've watched him grow up in our town. With Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. He's like, what are you talking about? With a Samaritan woman, he said, I've got some living water to offer. She's like, what are you talking about? And with this crowd, he says, I've come from heaven. They're like, what are you talking about? Jesus was always saying things to, to set people off a little bit. Tonight, the Oscars are on. Some of you, probably many of you, will watch the Academy Awards, which will begin with a monologue by Jimmy Kimmel of some sort, and he will do everything he can to walk that, that tightrope at the edge of being offensive to the entire world that's watching, right? Like, he will say jokes, and he'll make comments, and he will do everything he can to, to be as offensive as possible without having people actually stand up and leave the room. And as he's going on, I imagine if there's some grumbling in the crowd, he'll maybe pull back a little bit. Because he wants to be in the headlines for being controversial, but he, he wants to get invited back again next year too, right? So, so there's this balancing act. Well, Jesus starts off, and he, re- he realizes that this comment about being the bread that came down from heaven is, is bothering people. They're starting to grumble. And what does he do? Well, he throws caution to the wind. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I was thinking that it's a good thing this scene didn't make the cut for the Jesus storybook Bible. I mean, you can just imagine it, right? You know, the page of Jesus, you know, multiplying the bread and the loaves. And then the next page, you pick it and people are like eating Jesus' body. Like that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it. And, and this is what the crowd is thinking. They're like, what is this guy's problem? Why is he talking in this grotesque manner? Why is he using this terrible image? They ask, how, are we seriously supposed to eat this guy's flesh? How can, he, how can that even be possible? They're so confused. You know, for all of our efforts to present Jesus as worthy of being followed, sometimes it seems like he was actually trying to turn people away. That's interesting. In this passage, he says, like, I'm not, he actually says, I'm not going to turn anyone away. And then he goes and says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Let me just read uh, those words again in case you uh, zoned out when Mel was reading and, and missed the, the grotesqueness of this passage. Starting at verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. What on earth is Jesus talking about here? Last week, Uh, when socialite and reality TV star Kylie Jenner tweeted a negative comment about some changes to Snapchat, the company lost $1.3 billion in market value. She puts this out, so does anyone else not open Snapchat anymore? And like everyone's like, yeah, I'm not using it either. And then like the company's value just like plummeted. One comment and all this damage. 
Sometimes one comment is all it takes to do a whole world of damage. Jesus says, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He pushed his would-be followers into some very uncomfortable territory. Now, he had the right to do this because he was in uncomfortable territory himself. And he had said this earlier in this little discourse of his. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. It's as if he's saying, if you want to join me on this journey, you'll have to do the same thing that I'm doing, which is setting my own interests aside for the sake of something much greater. One of the great hymns of the early church is found in Philippians 2, 4 to 8, these beautiful words. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Jesus' words in John 6 remind us that for him, this wasn't some passive acceptance of humility and suffering. It was central to the reason that he came to begin with. And so the key question in the passage comes from the lips of many of his disciples. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus had no desire at all to gather crowds of self-interested disciples. He wanted to force the issue and call people to something deeper. Far from using the miraculous picnic as an opportunity to expand his following, Jesus ups the ante and ends up with even less followers than he started with. Lent is a season of seeking Jesus as we follow him on his journey to the cross. Now it's tempting as a pastor and in fact as a church to talk about Christian faith in a way that avoids all offense and makes it as easy as possible for people to hop on board. Now understand, churches create all kinds of unnecessary barriers. That for someone to, to be part of this community, they, got, they have to look like us, they have to talk like us, live like us, think like us, dress like us, believe like us, the list goes on. And so, so many people find themselves excluded. But sometimes churches have to be offensive. Sometimes churches need to create barriers. The number of barriers are, are few, but I remember, some of you will remember Gloria, who was our children's ministry director a number of years ago. And I remember we hired her after she had spent a time working with kids in a United Church. And she talked about what a challenging environment that was for her. Because the, the specific church that she was a part of had some rules about what she was and wasn't allowed to teach the children about. One of the things she wasn't allowed to talk about with children was sin. She wasn't allowed to talk to the children about sin. And after she spent some time um, designing an exercise, a, kind of a reflective exercise for the kids leading up to Easter, in which they would kind of, they, there was a cross that she had kind of mapped out on the ground, she was informed that in fact she wasn't allowed to talk about the cross either. Well, now that's maybe a barrier that we shouldn't be taking out of the way. I don't know if you read the headlines, major, major controversy this week. Kentucky Fried Chicken stores were closing down in the UK for nearly a week because they ran out of chicken. It was a real problem. Like for almost a week, 90% of stores in the UK were shut down because they ran out of chicken. Uh, the police in one area actually put out on their Twitter feed, please do not contact us about the hashtag KFC crisis. It is not a police matter if your favorite eatery is not serving the menu that you desire. People actually calling 911. You can listen to the calls. I listened to one. You can listen to the calls online, people actually calling the police. 
So they have a crisis on hand. What is this restaurant train going to do? Well, they put out like a full-page ad in a bunch of papers in the UK, and, and they had this great line. They say, a chicken restaurant without any chicken, it's not ideal. I was like, awesome. Just own it. Just own it. It's not ideal. Well, what is Christianity without a cross? That's even less ideal. And if we think that taking, taking the cross out of the story is going to make it easier for people, well, that's like a chicken restaurant taking chicken off the menu. It's just not going to work. In Galatians 5.11, Paul refers to the offense of the cross. And he refers to the offense of the cross in a positive way. This is a good thing that the cross offends us. What does he mean? What is offensive about Jesus' crucifixion? I mean, it's, it's gory, it's, it's terrible that this happened to him, but why is that offensive to us? Well, the cross points out how dire our condition is apart from Jesus. It announces how deep our sin goes, how dependent we are on help from the outside. Now, I don't know about you, I don't mind asking people for help. I've asked George for help with plumbing, in my house. I've asked Mark for help with, you know, problems in our attic. I've asked Gary for help when my car battery died. I mean, I ask people for help all the time. Like, I mean, asking for help is just part of what happens, you know, when we're part of a community. We, we lean on other people. But maybe we only ask help for things that we think are acceptable to ask help for. And maybe, maybe we think it's, there are certain things that we just can't ask for help for. But the cross tells us that ultimately there's nothing that we can do to solve our own problem. Not the problem of a, of a leaky faucet or, or a, a car that won't start, but, but the problem of a life that can't be lived to its fullest. The cross tells us there's nothing that we can do to solve our problem, and that's okay. And that's maybe the best part of the good news. That it's okay that you can't solve all of your own problems. It's okay that you can't live life to the fullest on your own. Because once we accept this, we encounter the wideness of God's mercy. I intend, attended an event on Thursday afternoon and evening where uh, some panelists were interacting, talking about uh, how generosity could be a great addition to the, to the business workplace. And uh, the, the host of the event, who was doing kind of interviewing the panelists, was uh, Michael Landsberg of TSN fame. Those of you who are sports fans know who he is. Those of you who don't, don't. Uh, but when he introduced himself, he talked about... Uh, uh, something, a cause that he's uh, really being public about, which is a number of years ago, uh, he kind of confessed on public air that he suffers from depression. And he now has this organization, Sick Not Weak, that, that reminds people that, like, this isn't a weakness, but it's, it's a sick, sickness. There's something wrong with me. And a lot of his introduction when he was talking, he was saying, like, we have to be able to, to admit that we have to some, a struggle. We can't be ashamed of this. And I was thinking, and people were nodding, and people were like, yeah. And I thought, this is great. I'm glad that he's sharing this. But this this is like a, a little piece of the message of the cross. Because the message of the cross says, actually, it's not just just people who have this particular struggle that need help, but actually it's all of us who need help. And I think it's easier for people to stand up and say, I struggle with mental health, if they are able to also stand up and say, I struggle with life. I actually can't live life the way it's meant to be lived. But it's okay because of the cross. Because that Jesus has done something that I can't do on my own. And then that enables us, I believe, to be able to say, up, yeah, I actually struggle with this. I actually fail in this area. I actually need help in this area. And Jesus continues this conversation with his disciples. Aware that they were grumbling about this, Jesus says to them, does this offend you, what I'm saying here? That you need me? That you can't live without me? That I'm the food and the drink that you need to have? 
eternal life? Does this offend you, what I'm saying? Are you or are you not prepared to admit that you need me to live? Like that, that like the food and drink you need to survive physically, you need me to survive spiritually. A rhetorical question, but the disciples responded with their feet. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus pressed, you can't do this on your own. You need me. And they said, nah, no, we don't. And they walked away. You get it though, right? Why people decided to stop following him? I was on a phone call, I don't know, this is a couple of months ago now, with a company. I was looking for a way, part of a group that I'm a part of with our denomination. We were looking for a way to, to do an interactive survey with pastors from across the country. And I was looking for a really good platform to do this with. And so I found one and I had this like phone conversation. And, and at the beginning, the guy says, so what do you want to learn in this conversation? Well, I said, I want to learn, I want to tell you about the, the issue that I've got. And I want to find out if your product can satisfy it. And I want to find out how much this is going to cost me. And he said, all right, so I'll tell you how we're going to meet all your needs. And he said, and, and at the end, I'll let you know about the price. And so for 45 minutes, we talked about this thing. And I said, you still haven't told me about the price. And he said, I think I can probably get the price down to about ten or $12,000. <laughs> Which I was like, what part of charity didn't you understand? I don't have $10,000 for this. Anyways, I'm glad I didn't say that to him. And I'm glad that it was a phone call and not like a video chat. If you would have seen the look on my face, it would have been really hilarious. Don't ask me about the price. Just let me tell you about the product. In a way, we're all looking for a way to follow Jesus that doesn't cost too much. But he does something different. His strategy is like, okay, I've got all your attention here. Now first, this is going to cost $12,000. And everyone walks away. He's like, I don't want to fool people here. I want to tell you what the cost of this is. But we're all looking for a way to follow without the cost. I love this line from Dallas Willard. Someone will say, can I not be saved, that is, get into heaven when I die, without any of this, this discipleship, this following Jesus? Perhaps you can. God's goodness is so great. I am sure that he will let you in if he can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die, about what kind of person you are becoming, and about whether you really would be comfortable for eternity in the presence of one whose company you have not found especially desirable for the few hours and days of your earthly existence. He is, after all, the one who says to you, now, follow me. Jesus said, my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Eternal in quantity, yes, when we die, yes. But more importantly for us in the meantime, eternal in quality. Jesus said, called it life to its fullest. Is that what we want? Is that what we're willing to follow him into? Oswald Sanders said, there is no such thing as easy and instant discipleship. One can commence a walk of discipleship in a moment, but the first step must lengthen into a lifelong walk. The crowds weren't willing to sign on for a lifelong walk. Now, beyond the end of this morning's reading comes Peter's profound response to Jesus' question about whether his, his closest followers, even his, his disciples, if they were ready to abandon him as well. And Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Brennan Manning once quipped, in the final analysis, discipleship is a life of sublime madness. That's what we sign on for, something that just seems crazy. So what about us? 
How will we respond when the cost of following Jesus seems too high? When the things he calls us to catch us off guard? When the vision he paints for faithful living isn't what we had in mind? How will I respond? How will you respond? I invite you to stand. I'd like to read the conclusion of the hymn from Philippians 2. It talks about Jesus' humility. It talks about his willingness to to go to the cross. But is that how the story ends? He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we confess this this morning as your church, as people who so often try to find the cheapest way to live out a life of faith, to cut whatever corners we can. But this morning we're reminded that the call that you give us is a costly one. But it's because you offer us what we truly need, what we need at the core of our being, that if we want to live the way you've created us to live, then it's going to cost us our lives. But that you were the first one to lay down your life for this cause. And so, God, I ask that these words of this story would rattle around in our brains throughout the day and that they would wander around in our hearts during the course of the week and that we would answer the way that Peter answered. Lord, to whom should we go? Where else is there for us to turn? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. May that be our response, whether for the first time this morning or for the thousandth time this morning. May we turn to you and follow wherever you go. Amen.